He's the host with the most. And this is The Saturday Show with Edward Hayden. Hello, good morning. Yes, indeed, it is The Saturday Show. And indeed, it is me, Edward Hayden, with you and with you right through until 12 noon. And hopefully you're in a position to stay with me and us until then. Thanks so much to uh, David for bringing us all of your details of news and sports. Thanks also to the lovely Queen of Pop sitting in this morning on the breakfast show, the lovely Shannon Redmond. And of course, Shannon can be heard every day, Monday to Friday um, on KCLR from 4 to 6. So tune into her for that. Now, 0833069696 is our dinnersready.ie contact line for all of your texts and whatsapps throughout the morning we'd love to hear from them so send them in in uh, in great uh, number to us this morning anything that's going on we'd love to hear from you or of course you can telephone the lovely Ashling at 1800 90 96 96 what are we coming up on this morning's show well very shortly we're going to be joined by our resident gardening expert Shirley Lanigan who's going to tell us how we can look after our poor icy gardens um, we're also going to be joined by stylist Faith Amond, the lovely queen of style herself and she's going to be getting us ready for the Thaestes day and telling us what we should wear to the races on this coming Thursday out in Gorn Park and perhaps how we can dress up for the cold weather I wonder would she give us a loan of that lovely red and black coat that she has at the minute she's a beautiful one with the lovely kind of a cowl neck that uh, I saw her wear to Nace races just after Christmas so um, that would certainly be the job I'd say for Gorn as well um, you may have seen during the week on RTE there was a couple of documentaries during the week one of which was The Last Nuns in Ireland and that was uh, presented and put together by award winning Irish journalist, author and broadcaster Derville MacDonald and Derville is joining us just after 11 o'clock this morning reflecting I suppose on the causes and consequences of um the, the seemingly terminal decline in religious vocations in Ireland and in uh, religious sisters as well. So it was a really good documentary during the week, I thought, really well balanced and well judged. So we're looking forward to chatting with Gerald about that. We're doing yoga with Trisha Norton and Aidan Taggy Fogarty will be here getting us ready for all things sport that are coming your way on KCLR right throughout, uh, right throughout the, the day uh, there as well. So lots happening uh, with regard to that. Now, of course, we had an interesting day on KCLR during the week because we were out and about. We had uh, a lovely photo shoot on, um, what day had we got that on? Wednesday afternoon, we had a lovely photo shoot. Uh, all of the KCLR staff were brought down to Butler House and we're getting a new marketing campaign. So we were all dolled up in our finery uh, down in the gardens of Butler House and we look forward to seeing those photos uh, anon. Hopefully um, myself and Miss Ashling look really well. The the Holly and Phil of Saturday mornings, I think that's what we're we'll describe ourselves are. So um, that's coming your way very soon. So that's an exciting little development uh, here on Casey Lord. Now where they're going to do it, I presume they're going to put mine um, on the staircase. Um, I think there's going to be a big life-size version of me on the staircase here in Casey Lord to greet everyone when they arrive. So um, that in itself will be something for all visitors to look forward to. But um, yeah, I think we will look uh, mighty in our photos as well. 
Now, let's head over to a telephone line because on it we're joined by our resident gardening expert, Shirley Lanigan. Shirley, good morning to you. Now, hold on, hold the line. Hello, Shirley, good morning. Now, Shirley is gone. I don't know what's the story with Shirley there. This could be uh, a gremlins in the system today. Whilst uh, we're waiting to chat with Shirley, I must tell you that during um, the early morning, I got a lovely text uh, from our good friend Chubby Brennan up in Castle Comer. And he was reminding us that um, the Dean side players are presenting Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And that's taking place on Sunday, the 21st of January at 3 p.m. And then Monday to Friday at 8 p.m. in Castle Comer Community Hall. Um, you can have in-person booking um, in the community hall Monday to Friday from 10 to 12 or you can check it out on eventbrite.com as well. So that's the pantomime uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs in Castle Comer as well. I must also let you know, of course, um, the iDrone players who were on with us uh, from Burris a little while ago, um, they're coming to Greg the Manor tonight with their production of Bernard Farrell's Many happy returns. So that will be a big hit, no doubt, in Gregna Manor this evening. Now, let's do take two, or I think it could be actually take three, on our telephone lines and see if we're joined by the Queen of Gardening, Shirley Lanigan. Shirley, good morning. You are indeed. Oh. <laughs> the, 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 the constituency breathes a sigh of relief, Shirley. <laughs> Oh, I tell you something now. I'm a breathe aside, it's least getting rid of all that frost. It was very cold, wasn't it? It was very cold. It was very cold. And when I got up, I was um, um, at the supermarket last night at about eight o'clock and it was just starting to rain when I was coming out of it. And I said, oh my God, I hope there's not a cold spell tonight now or I'll be, uh, I'll be like Torval and Dean coming to work in the morning. But um, it, has, <laughs> it has abated, we can, con- we can confirm. Yeah, no, it's a relief. Oh, everything, it was rock hard out there, looking at things in pots and thinking, what's happening to that poor plant? So I'm very pleased to see Wayne. Absolutely. And, 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 and now, Shirley, with regard to those plants and the land and everything like that, I was talking to a friend of mine during the week who couldn't do any ploughing um, from an agricultural point of view. But from a gardening point of view and horticulturally, you know, is there any remedial action post-frost that we need to that we need to take? Do we need to kind of put lagging jackets on our begonias? Or... Well, the thing about, about lagging and, and wrapping and putting fleece on is if you, if you wrap something, it's, it's very like, a, you know, uh, what is it, like a, a flask. If you wrap something that's cold, it stays cold. So you don't wrap it until things warm up again. Okay. And then you're holding in heat. What you might find is that maybe you had one or two things that you put before last post snap. Now, they might be damaged, they might not be. But have your fleece ready. And once everything warms up again, have it ready that if there's another cold snap, you can put it on before the next one. But oh. anyway, if damage has been done, damage has been done. And you won't know until things start sprouting. Hopefully you'll be okay. Hopefully, for sure, because, you know, the kind of, it came on us very quickly, even though, like, it's the height of the winter, but it came in a slap, didn't it, Shirley? So we mightn't have readied ourselves. Yeah, no, I, I have one or two things that I had planted up, and I tucked them into what I thought was a, a really nice, snug corner. But when I went out the day before yesterday and 
touched the top of the soil in their pots, it was hard. Now, they'll probably be all right because they were in a snug corner and they weren't white and dusted with frost the way everything else further out of the garden was. But, you know, you, you never know. We all lose things. We certainly do. And um, I was still even thinking of, you know, our pots and our terracotta pots and ceramic pots. They can often uh, fall foul of the of the inclement weather as well, can't they, Shirley? They can. Now, I, somebody gave me a tip years ago, and, and I haven't had any loss since. Turn outside. If there's any moisture, it, 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 it drains out. And it means that there's much less chance of them cracking with frost. Because even the even the terracotta that they tell us is frost resistant, it, 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 it's not really. It's not completely. It can be, but it also can disappoint you. So if you've turned the pot on its side, any rain that's gone in in the last while, you know, if, if there's any moisture, it will drain out slightly and reduce the, the amount of water that's in there to expand and crack your poor pot. Uh, I got a telephone call during the week. I feel like your agent at this stage, but I got a telephone call during the week <laughs> from uh, the lovely Patricia Cantlin of Calintra House in the Roar, who rang me uh, with a great sense of urgency for me to tell you that all of her long driveway up to her house, and she has a very long driveway up to Calintra House, uh, is uh, laden with daffodils. So now, oh, you- so now you know that, Shirley. Now I know that. I should go and take a look at them. Now, a lot of people, again, will have been worried about their daffodils and the snowdrops and all of the things that were up and either flowering or getting ready to flower. They all lay down and looked terrible during the frost. But you'll see the next day or so, they'll stand back up and they'll look like nothing touched them. Those winter flowers are just, they're, they're extraordinary. Like, they're, they're wonders of nature, really. They really are amazing things. How lovely. Now, Shirley, you also wanted to bring us news this morning of an event that's taking place, and that is, of course, Rathvilly and Castle Dermot Garden and Flower Show. And um, you are heading up this event yourself. Tell us about what's this coming up on the 25th of January. <laughs> oh, they just say next Thursday uh, in, 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 in Castle Dermot. So uh, that will be me next Thursday evening uh, talking about art in the garden. And the great thing about art in the garden is that when everything else is dead, whatever statue or piece of art you've got, it's there all year round. It's the it's your 12-month-a-year feature that you don't have to worry about getting caught in the frost. And would so kind that's of... What I'll be talking about. Is this kind of like... Because I've seen, like, you know, wall hangings and clocks and pottery pieces and sculptures... Garden gnomes, would they still come under art or is that a stretch too far? And it, 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 uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. Shirley, there's a career in that. politics awaiting you. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, down, I, I, a lot of people will know this. I've put it up on, on Facebook, I don't know how many times. There's a house just outside Tremor. And I, I don't know how many times I've nearly caused a crash on the road. It's, it's close to a bend, unfortunately. But it's a little white, whitewashed cottage. And there's a ledge out close to the road. You know that ledge that they used to stand uh, milk churns on years ago for yes. the milk to be collected? And on that ledge is an array of the most amazing 
uh, gnomes you've ever seen in your life. And they're all regularly given a fresh coat of paint. So everybody is always in their best bib and tucker. And it's one of the cheeriest sites in the country. So I'm not going to give out about gnomes. This gang of trouble gnomes are lovely. How lovely. And Shirley, can people just rock up to this uh, event in um, in Castle Dermot or do they need to book in advance? No, they can just turn up at, at half past seven. I think the door is open and um, I think it's a, I think it's five euros in or something like that. And uh, no, just turn up and, and um, it's a, I suppose it'll go on for about an hour, an hour and a half. And what people who aren't members of the Flower and Garden uh, Club might decide to do on the night is actually become members. It's great. It's a great interest. And it's wonderful to get to know all the people that are gardening in a society or a club like that because you end up learning so much from more experienced people there. You, you get to know other people's gardens, all go off on trips and tours around the country to visit various friends. It's a wonderful sort of a society or group to join. So that might be something that you might decide to do now for the new year. Join a garden club and, and the Rapsilly uh, and Castle Dermot one is all there, ready to be joined. Ready to be joined. Society. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Shirley, just move back a little bit over towards the window again there. We're, 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 we're losing you a tiny little bit. But um, Michael Murphy from Gordon has been on and says, Hi, Edward, can you please ask Shirley how long tulip bulbs take to grow? Um, so Michael is obviously readying himself for a nice spring show, Shirley. Uh, they will. Some of them will already have started putting putting shoots up. You could. I, I've got some tulips now, and the shoots are about two or three inches. And then there are others that uh, are only growing in the ground around now. And it'll be a few weeks before they start showing their noses. But tulips will flower any time between April and uh, almost into June, depending on the variety. And they're a hardy little flower, really, aren't they, Shirley? Oh, they are. Now, what you don't like is, is wet, heavy soil. So what you, if you've got wet, heavy soil, the soil that holds on to moisture, put a load of grit or uh, sand or anything to make it more free-draining. They don't like sitting in the dark. They come from like the hills of Turkey and, and places where they're not spending a lot of time in the damp. So if you want to get them to act as a perennial plant and come back year after year, make sure they're in a nice free-draining um, soil. And as I say, if it's not free-draining, you could make it free-draining by adding grit or gravel or sand. How lovely, how lovely. Uh, tulips uh, are, are lovely. It's great, actually, that all these questions and people are starting to kind of ready themselves for the spring because there is a nice little cock step in the evenings now at the minute, even, Shirley, isn't there? Oh, yeah, there is. It's lovely to see every evening just a few minutes more. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the one thing the frost did, in fairness, because you know what frost, I always think, brings such brightness as well. So it kind of elongated our days a tiny little bit as well. Yeah, the light, is, light it brings, sort of, it, 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 the white on the ground bounces that light back up and, you know, even under shrubs and trees, you can see just, there's something glittery about it. It's cold, it drives us mad, but it's also lovely. Happy days, happy days. Well, Shirley, listen there, we must leave it. Best to look on Thursday night um, with the Ratvilly and Castle Dermot Garden and Flower um, club event taking place in Chuck Dermot there in Castle Dermot hope it all goes great there's tea and a chat afterwards as well so that's where the kind of the real uh, the real news will come from as well no doubt
Absolutely. The tea and the chat is what we love. Absolutely. Thanks, Shirley. Good morning to you. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday. Now, that's Shirley Lanigan, our resident gardening expert. Apologies there for the quality of the line. Um, at times. Peggy has been on to us from Castle Comer, uh, from Castle Dermot to Castle Comer. So Peggy from Castle Comer has been on because I was telling you all about Snow White and whilst you can book on Eventbrite and in the hall from 10 to 12, you can also ring Peggy, which would be lovely to do. So give Peggy a ring on 086 996 because she's absolutely fantastic and she'll sort you out with a ticket for Snow White as well, should you so desire. Now, uh, we're going to take a little sauce, biog, um, a rasherish, a kind le fit amand, fwyn edi. The Saturday Show on KCLOR with Edward Hayden, brought to you by Lyrath with Love. Fall in love this Valentine's with an overnight stay, breakfast in bed, a couple's massage and use of thermal suite. For details, visit lyrath.com. Carlo Kilkenny KCLR Now good morning you're very welcome back Edward Hayden here with you 083 306 9696 is our dinners ready uh, .ie contact line I'm delighted to be joined by Minister Malcolm Noonan uh, from the Green Party Minister for Nature Heritage and Electoral Reform Malcolm good morning to you Diagwit Edward Malcolm we were just chatting during the break of course as we always do the bre- I always think the conversations during the break are as interesting um, but I was just talking to you about uh, we have Gerville MacDonald coming on a little bit later on on the show uh, based on her documentary The Last Nuns in Ireland it was on during the week but you were saying you were watching the two because Ardle Hanlon did one about The Last Priest as well interesting piece of, of, of broadcasting on both on both um, points Re- really fantastic piece of broadcasting I have to say and timely as well given the you know the crisis that, the, that particularly uh, around the priesthood and um, uh, you know it, it put into context that these were people you know while we talk about mm. uh, the, the the abuse and all of the scandals within the church uh, these were people and particularly the nuns uh, who, who served a role in our community that was th- that the state fell down on and okay there was the mother and baby homes there was lots of really significant um, problems there but uh, I think it, it, they were really good documentaries from the point of view mm. of setting a context around a talking point of where the church goes in Ireland in the next uh, 10 to 50 you know 20 30 years uh, but f- fantastic and I thought she did a brilliant job yeah she say. did I was really taken out so we, we set about to track her down which we have done and uh, we're delighted uh, to do so uh, tell me how was all with you anyway good all good yeah we're, we're I was I'm just back from Sligo uh, I was up um, looking at the Neolithic monuments meeting with the local authority uh, we're looking at world uh, heritage UNESCO world heritage status for the, the Neolithic landscape in, in Sligo and looking at a lot of the projects that we supported part of my job I travelled the country mm. looking uh, and and meeting uh, heritage groups around the work that they're doing and the support that we give to them. Um, busy year ahead. Um, next week I'll be launching Ireland's uh, next National Biodiversity Action Plan, which I think is hugely significant because it's going to bring together a lot of the outputs of the Citizens' Assembly on Biodiversity and look towards a, a huge decade ahead of ecosystem restoration in Ireland. And then... Um, you know, we were back in the doll this week, and you saw probably saw some of the, the you know the toing and froing. It's always a tetchy time the first day back. Uh, it's going to be an interesting. There's a lot year. of flexing to be done in the a first week, of, isn't there? A, a lot of flexing, and you know, I think you know we've obviously we have a referendum on March the eighth. We have the uh, 
local European elections in on in June and the possibility speculation around a general election later this year. Uh, so it's going to be a hugely important year for elections. And you look globally, mm. probably half the world's population is going to be voting in some form or another, you know, India, US. Uh, and uh, we look at how fragile our, our democracies are. Uh, you know, democracy is, is in, in many cases, if you look at the tracking of democracies and democratization, it is uh, in, in retreat because of the challenges around disinformation, around online content, etc., and the rise of, of activists with you know, ulterior motives and other agendas. Uh, and we thought we were immune from that here in Ireland, but we're not. We clearly see that with the with the anti-immigration uh, sentiment sure. and the burning of, of premises that are, are supposed to house uh, people who are fleeing uh, conflict, which is terrible. Uh, Malcolm, you were talking about the elections. With regard to the local elections, how ready do you think locally the Green Party are to kind of to take on um, a local election because obviously and uh, often local elections are seen as barometers for what's to come with, with national elections. Um, what's the situation in, in Kilkenny in terms of candidates being yeah, put we're, forward we're, across the different we're electoral ready. areas? Um, we're, we are certainly ready. We've been out canvassing for months. Have you a suite of new candidates? We have, well obviously um, Councillor Maria Dollard oh, yeah. who's our, our councillor here is doing fantastic work. I and met her recently out at... Um, Kings Mill in Stonyford. She's um, everywhere. She's she's really brilliant. And we have candidates selected uh, in Pilltown, Benny McDonough. We have uh, Christina Doyle selected in Thomastown. We have um, Liam O'Brien in Bagnellstown. Hopefully have a, a, a Carlo candidate to announce uh, in the next week or so as well. So we're almost there. It's our intention to have a candidate in every electoral area. Um, and I think to make gains, you know, if I, if I think back, I was the, the only green in the village, as they used to say. For a long, for long, a long time. Long time uh, when I was uh, 16 years on Kilkenny County Council. So we found it difficult to find candidates. And I think all parties, I'm speaking to people in all parties, I think it, it is a challenge. You know, it's, uh, as was said before, it's a, a full time job for a part time salary. Uh, and increasingly, I'm finding that councillors in particular, their workload is enormous. Uh, much more so than even a TD. They don't have the backup staff. They don't have an office. And uh, I do think it's important, uh, absolutely, the remuneration, it was correct that that be fixed through the Moorhead report. But I do think we need to look at the terms and conditions and the workload that's on our councillors. Uh, and that's something I'll be focusing on in the, the local elections. But in terms of your first question, are we ready? Absolutely. We're, we're going to meet people on the doorsteps, engage on the issues that matter to them, and hopefully have a... a so, and, we, and across the country, we have about 100 and 10 candidates selected, 50-50 gender split, which is what we wanted to achieve, good diversity within the party, uh, and we're, we're absolutely ready for the local. And then the general elections, obviously your own party suggesting that he'd be hope, more hopeful that it would come, um, your party leader, that it would come in the earlier part of next year. Uh, he suggested that there's a lot of governmental instability at the minute around the world. But... Um, I suppose it has been a difficult uh, time in government at uh, the three party three party coalition. The cracks are are appearing. The settling cracks that people have in their walls are appearing yeah. for a while. And there kind of seems to be, I suppose, greater disparity amongst uh, the three parties. How will that kind of play out, do you think, in a, in a, in a general election? And will there be, you know, uh, casualties as a result 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, the Electoral Commission carried out its work and, and uh, I just finished the legislation before Christmas to give effect to the new boundary changes. So uh, lots of people are going to be affected by that, candidates. But I, I think the, the three parties have worked extremely well together. Um, every government faces a crisis. This government uh, has dealt with a myriad of crises from the refugee uh, uh, crisis, the war in Ukraine, now the conflict in Gaza, the, the COVID crisis, the housing crisis. Um, and I think, you know, we've worked well together. We haven't gotten everything right. We've, we're, we're absolutely uh, sure about that, 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 there's, that there are challenges there. Uh, but by and large, we've worked well together. We see certainly differences emerging around, you know, issues around the, the crisis in Gaza currently where, uh, you know, I think, you know, Taoiseach Leo Radgar has a, a view on it. Eamon Ryan, you know, was very, um, in his words about the, 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 um, the, the international criminal uh, justice case uh, of genocide from by South Africa that there is a compelling case to be heard so I but at the same time I think uh, you know the government has worked very very well together and I would like us to see it out for their, all of this year and go to the wire which would be February 25. In terms of our own constituency here in Carlow and Kilkenny the the changes were kind of North Kilkenny uh, based with kind of the, the, the top rung of North Kilkenny heading in into Tipperary, um, who will, I suppose, be affected most by that of our sitting TDs, yeah, in your I, opinion? I, I think, look... And do a swell of votes up there? Or? I, I think, you know, perhaps uh, all of us are affected and it's, it's, it's unfortunate because um, there's fantastic communities up there. They feel disenfranchised by it. You know, we heard... Uh, you know, have had robust discussions with Mary Hilda Kavanagh about it. Um, it doesn't affect the local electoral boundaries, mm. uh, so I think it will affect us all. Perhaps some more than others. Um, uh, you know, I haven't looked at the tallies from twenty twenty, but uh, I think critically important is that people in th- that part of North uh, Kilkenny feel represented. And and the commission had a difficult job to do. They we didn't give um, the mandate to the commission to look at six-seater constituencies. Now, thankfully, in its research programme, its draft research programme, it is going to do that. Uh, so that I would imagine that the next boundary review will give effect to six-seater constituencies. And they do, in my view, favour more diversity. They favour, you know, they, they're much more representative of our PR system. But, um, the, you know, the Commission does its work impartially, independently, and we absolutely respect that. The results will yet to come. Uh, Minister, you mentioned, of course, about the uh, people seeking international protection at the minute. There's a lot of uh, negative commentary around that nationally. I mean, if we think of uh, Ross Grave, we think of Lanesbury, we think of the incident in in Carlo as well. Uh, I mean, what seems to be consistent about it is the kind of the challenges with regard to communication. I mean, this is something that's made uh, been rolled out by the Minister for Integration, your own party colleague, Roderick O'Gorman. A lot of people feel that he is getting it wrong in terms of his um, early communication and then there seems to be a knee-jerk U-turn um, evidenced in Carlo, of course, at the Capuchin Friary as well. Your own thoughts on how this situation is is, is playing out? Well, well, first of all, to say in relation to the Capuchin Friary, it was determined uh, at the time by the department that there was a, a pressing need for for. Uh, Ukrainian families at, at that time in terms of... But the original and, and th- communication suggested it was going to be 50 single men. Be int- that's right, international protection. So that decision was made by the department. Um, certainly around the country, what we're seeing is incredi- is just really disturbing. And as I said, something I never thought we'd see in Ireland, the burning out of buildings. I mean, it, it's, just, it's just disgusting. Uh, Ross Gray, yeah, I, I mean, you know... 
there are genuine concerns of locals and, and I, I would agree with locals who are saying we're not racist because we have these concerns about our, re- our lack of resources. What do you think their concerns are, Minister? The, the, the cons- I, th- I think the concerns genuinely about uh, issues around uh, access to GP services, you know, the, the, the those are, uh, you know, school places. There are many communities across the country who are benefiting from the fact that they've had intake of refugees and uh, people from the temporary protection from Ukraine. It's after bringing numbers up in schools and, and getting extra teachers into schools um, there's there's parts of of County Kilkenny and Carlow in rural decline in decline population decline uh, we've seen that in the census up in in North Kilkenny as well mm-hmm. uh, and um, and parts of the west where you know I, I travel a lot uh, who you know where towns are, are dying on their feet and would benefit from uh, from people coming in to live in there but do you think that the fear seems to be uh, abated once people hear that there's families coming in? I'm wondering what do you think are the specific concerns about it, it, uh, a cohort of yeah. uh, men coming into It, it can into be that way. The, the, the issue around single men is completely unfounded. I mean, I have a lot of interaction with the men who came to Kilkenny uh, last year. I brought them up to Leinster House. Mm. Uh, before they came in to me, they were in the National Museum learning about Ireland's heritage and Ireland, Ireland's culture. Fantastic group of men. And they're volunteering with Keep Kilkenny Beautiful. Some of them are working. They want to participate. They want to be part of, of our community. Uh, so I think, you know, a lot of that narrative is, is peddled out by people with different agendas. And I think from our perspective in government, we have a responsibility to allay those fears. That's why Minister O'Gorman and Taoiseach has, has, uh, have both said that we will be rolling out a campaign of public information and awareness. And it's, it's fair to say this too, Edward. We have uh, what we're seeing in terms of numbers coming into, into Europe uh, from conflicts, from climate change. There is more people displaced now than ever in human history. And w- the numbers we're seeing now, um, you know, I, I think they, they could be dwarfed into the future as, co- as climate change particularly takes effect, much more effect in sub-Saharan Africa and uh, as people have to move north to get away from the, the, what will be really extreme weather. So th- there, there's... There's is there a value to his, uh, to the minister's caving into the pressure? It appears that, you know, the minister and obviously invariably the government are caving into this pressure. So when there is a protest, um, peaceful initially in, in lots of cases and then maybe it, it, it's it's ranked up. But, you know, invariably in a lot of the situations, Carlo being a prime example here in our own constituency, you know, that decision was quickly U-turned. Is there a value or a virtue to that in terms of the confidence that the minister would be um, engaging with in uh, terms of community? Yeah, I don't see that the, the minister or the department or government are caving in. What we are doing is listening to communities and trying to reach... Uh, um, but a, would it be less can, messy if he engaged first, maybe? I think what would be less messy if we had the capacity, built-in capacity, and I think this has been discussed now, about building in capacity into our system that is able to... Um, take in the numbers that we are obliged to take in legally under international law uh, to, to process their claims in, a, in an effective and a timely manner and if people have to, to go back to where they came from that's that's one thing and have a system in place where we can um, bring people in who are genuinely seeking asylum in this country and I think that from that perspective that's where we look at this next phase of it which is trying to build in that capacity and look to the future we have to look at at trends Mm. particularly migration trends internationally every country has an obligation to do this and the European level we have an obligation and we signed up to the temporary protection directive as well so I think in that regard we need to build in a permanent capacity I've always said this uh, into our system where we can provide 
good, comfortable accommodation for people while they're here and then process their applications in a timely manner. With regard to the services, then, just to conclude, you know, um, the issues with regard to services, whether education, and we know that, you know, previously Ukrainian families, as you've said, have kind of topped up schools and been, have been able, you know, and it's good to acknowledge they've been able to hold a teacher or, or whatever. So there's that. But with regard to the doctors and the dentists and education services, with regard to that, is there kind of work going on in parallel with the kind of the housing, do you think, to kind of increase capacity about that? Uh, I always say on this show, we're very lucky down in Greg Manor with our access to, to GP services, but not other, not every community is as lucky and you might have, you know, a longer wait around that. What work has been going on uh, to kind of to, to um, increase services in general for communities? Yeah, I think I, we look at um, the particular census data was hugely interesting to see the population growth in this country. We're booking European trends in terms of uh, our own population growth, inward migration, not just from people seeking asylum, but actually people coming back seeking opportunities here. So we have to, you know, in terms of housing that has to be provided in terms of other services, health services, we have to to future-proof our system to uh, ensure that we have the services. We have a fantastic um, G- uh, rural GP training centre in, in, uh, out in, in Stonyford. Really great uh, innovation going on. We need to support that and uh, ensure that um, there are enough GPs coming into the system and there's an opportunity for people to, to uh, career change uh, into other practices, be it GP or other medical services. And I think that's something that Minister Donnelly is conscious of as well. Mm, again, it's it's to get the people that are interested in those jobs and to have them uh, appropriately remunerated seems to be the challenge around that though, isn't it? It, it is. And uh, you know, I think that a, a lot of that in terms of consultant contracts, all of the, 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 the issues around public sector pay, which is being uh, dealt with at the moment in the, in the Labour Court, are the deliberations. Uh, I think that is important. Uh, hopefully a, a positive conclusion will come to that. Um, there's no doubt we 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 have a unique opportunity in Ireland as we look at the population growth that we have. Uh, again, to to plan and build in capacity in our country for the growth that we're going to have through the National Development Plan in our urban centres. This includes transport, public transport, but also other facilities. We're also a population that is growing older and living longer and mm-hmm. that is important that we deal with that too. Absolutely, because that in itself brings its own challenge. Uh, Minister, there we must leave it. Thank you so much for coming into us this morning and Happy New Year and um, enjoy your weekend. Thanks Edward. Minister Malcolm Noonan there, Minister for Nature, Heritage and Electoral Reform. Uh, lots of texts coming into us here uh, as well. We'll get to those in just a moment um, and we'll be back with you just after this break. Carlo Kilkenny KCLR Carlo Kilkenny KCLR Now I'm absolutely delighted to be joined in studio by one of my really good friends and a wonderful lady of style uh, a wonderful lady of style and that is the lovely Faith Amund who joins me now Faith good morning to you Good morning Edward and again it's a pleasure to be here with you Well listen you look absolutely amazing myself and Ashling are after a good from the top to the bottom and from the bottom to the top um, you're in full texture this morning now, I was admiring the texture of your trousers and then when you took off your beautiful coat we have a textured um, 
number on top as well. Talk to me about the trousers. It's the kind trousers, of like... Um, I suppose it's unusual for me, but it's quilted. It's very kind of a Chanel, kind of a yeah. quilted fabric. And then the top. It's not every top will go with it because the texture had to be right. Uh, the top is, I suppose, a jumper, which I normally wouldn't wear, and lots of bits and frills and whatever to it. So I suppose the trousers quirky, we'll the jumper is quirky. And I suppose, look, it was all experimenting with it. No one I was coming down to you, and you're always so dapper. Of course, I just teamed them with the orange, the bright orange coat because it's a lovely crisp day and hopefully on Thursday it will be the same. And you have heels there sending you into the clouds. The heels are about 20, about 20 years old and I probably didn't wear them 20 times but, and the bag is about 20 years old but I think, you know, when you mind your stuff and you, they're classic, you'll pull them out over and over again. You look great. You look, always look great. I've thank never you. seen you not look great um, ever, ever, ever. Oh, thank you. Now we've invited you in because Thursday is the Thaestes Day and uh, locally in particular but nationally as well it's always a kind of a, a big day in the, the racing calendar one of the first big days of, of the year. Um, but there'll be a big crowd descending on Gorn on Thursday for Tiestas. Indeed, it's a wonderful day and usually it could be 10 or 12,000. Now that's a wonderful attendance and it's our local track which makes it even better. A, a great racing day, a great social day and you'll meet people there that you haven't met since last year and hopefully we'll meet them again next year. But it's a real social day and uh, there's, um, there's great racing, great prize money and uh, there'll be great people there and that's what really matters. Well listen, after this interview now there'll be great style as well because you're going to tell us all what we should tug out in for the day it'll be cold Faith we it could take that as red absolutely I mean for the last week it was extreme look we saw probably minus 7 at some stages today it's amazing such a quick change it's 8 degrees out there already but it's a lovely dry day and I think over the last number of years what I can always remember about Thiestas because it's, it's huge crowds and there's not many places unless you've reserved indoor dining or whatever there won't be a huge amount of place for everyone to descend but um, it's always tends to be a lovely dry day which is great so once you have the warm clothes on and I think plenty of layering you know October until March I think is so easy to dress because if you're going obviously to the racing and you're going to be outdoors most of the time. I mean, we know it's going to be cold. And even though we have a lovely day, it's never going to be probably over 12 degrees. You know, whereas in the summer, you go out and you think, gosh, this is summer. You go out in your finery and it can be freezing. So I think it's much easier um, to dress for the winter outdoors. But um, Would Would you chance a frock for the day? Uh, no, I wouldn't. Well, a frock maybe and then a heavy coat. Oh yeah, of course. Oh, now <laughs> no, I'm because, not saying go out in your figure. Yeah, but you see, the thing is, if you were inside, there would be lots of hospitality, lots of dining, wonderful uh, dining for the day. But if you were going inside for lunch or you know, obviously you were dining upstairs, you'd be taking off the big coat and you just want something that's when you're indoors, you're indoors and the temperature is probably just normal. Um, but when you're outdoors and staying outdoors, it's a different story. So you need to actually keep that in mind. Absolutely. And Faith, in terms then of colour, you know, today now you're in kind of what we would describe as separates. But, um, you know, are separates the way to go or would you go with a kind of a, a full dress? Or, or what are you thinking well, for the day? I know you won't think until Thursday you're morning. You're right, yeah. Maybe I have a thought out now. Maybe I'll go in this. Uh, what I've on today is very warm. It's very different for me and it's about the coat. So the coat, it's bright orange and really, if I was at the race, you wouldn't see what I've under it and yet it's nice and warm and snug. If I was going in probably for lunch, this would all be too warm even when I would take off this wool jumper so I would wear a dress. I find a dress is a great base and then put your warm coat on and you're ready for all eventualities. Mm. 
uh, collars, you have the uh, a capacity to co- to carry a collar uh, because your hair and your colouring and, and your lovely red uh, lips and everything. There are colours that suit and colours that don't. I always say to everyone, grey is not my colour. Any shade of it. Yeah, I agree with you. And shades of beige aren't great on me and you would imagine yeah that it would be wonderful yeah. but you don't get that same feel I love the colour now I must say I also love black but black will work for me whereas a certain shade of beige mm. I love cream it works the creams and champagnes yeah, work really well on you but there's certain and tans aren't great on me and you would imagine sure tan would fall into the same category mm. but um, I think a bit of colour it brightens up your day mm. Um, you have the lovely uh, orange coat. Would we go all out? You know, some people go mad, mad. Now, again, you're so uh, into that classy, elegant look as well. So is one pop of colour sufficient? Um, what I, else, I for example, what else could you I will that wear that with, with cream. Okay. Coming into the spring now, because I mean, it is a, a wool coat and it's quite Usual. heavy, but I will wear it with cream and that will bring it into kind of April, May. And then after that, put it away again, please God, until... Um, you know, you wouldn't be wearing that until about October again. But um, there's lots you can do. You could put brown with orange. Olive green is lovely with it. That shade of olive green is really mm. nice. And so there's lots of ways you could change around the coat. But the coat, it's very complete. It's double breasted. It will be closed. So really, it's one of the ones where you get away fairly easily because uh, unless you know you're going in for lunch or something and you need to know what's um, like the dress or whatever is fairly coordinated. Um when you put on the coat you're finished and I think that with a lot of coats especially a full length coat and you know it's a great time to invest in a coat because the the January sales are still on and absolutely great time to invest in a coat Uh, For the ladies that are going on Thursday Faith talk to us about footwear because you know you're going to be there for a nice good few hours as well. You have a fine good big stiletto on you on you yeah. today. Well, you, see, you probably wouldn't uh, manage that for the, the six I hours and go on, would Absolutely, you? I'd manage it for six days. <laughs> so not a problem. I, I wear high heels all the time, so that's not a problem. Actually, if I was in low shoes, I'd be clobbering around. It's whatever you're used to. I had a lady yesterday and uh, she showed me beautiful outfit shoes and I kind of thought God do you know the shoes now could have been a bit better but then she went on telling me about her bunions and everything and I said well look that's okay it's a way to means but I'd rather see her walking in a shoe she could walk in than being crucified in a shoe she couldn't so mm. there's different you know there's different um, reasons why you wear shoes or wear whatever but the main thing is to wear what you can wear comfortably and not just be clicking around in them mm. um, you know a lot of people this time of the year are wearing boots anyway and there are some really sensible boots out there now I'm not a boot person but there are some <laughs> lovely trendy boots and sure they're wonderful for this time of year but no I'll still be in the high heels lovely lovely uh, no indications yet Faith have you any few little uh, any few little numbers in mind now at home that you might talk out in yourself on Thursday do you know I might wear this orange coat because I have it I wore it to show you I know you love the bit of style and the bit of colour and oh, I haven't gosh. worn it at all yet so maybe the orange coat well, I think you could go as you are. If, you, if I was to keep you locked here until Thursday, Faith, we could tug you out as you are. Oh. You look absolutely amazing, uh, yeah. as always. Uh, life is not too bad with you other than that? No, it's all good now. Last year was a hard year. It and was, we really. lost my sister Frances. And uh, so it was hard. But look, there's lots of families, lots of people in the same situation. And all we can do is um, try and make the best we can of life. And, you know. Please God. Yeah, Live exactly. every day. Yeah. 
live every day. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, we look forward to seeing you on uh, Thursday, Faith. Any last minute tips now of, of uh, counsels for any of our listeners now for no, the You know what I would say? I would say to people, just go and enjoy it. Dress comfortable. And as far as I know, there's not a Ladies' Day competition or anything on. So, you know, there's not that extreme. Uh, whereas I think for Red Mills Day, usually there would be. But for Thursday, it's about looking nice, feeling comfortable. And that's really what matters. And really enjoy the day. Absolutely. And well done to Eddie Scally and Gorn. It's always a great day. It certainly is. And we look forward to it. I hope to look forward to seeing you. I'll be Indeed. rooting you out. Wherever you are, I will track you down, uh, <laughs> Faith, on Thursday. We'll get a good look at you. We will be putting up on uh, social media Faith's outfit today because we'll have to let you see how beautiful uh, she looks as always. She's an amazing person. Oh. You are an amazing person. Thank you, Edward. Uh, Faith, we love you. And all of the listeners love you. So, the work that you've done with so many people, not only in the region, but nationally, they come to you from near and far yeah. and you give them great advice yeah, on everything. It's, it's you send no one out wrong. No, but it's always a great pleasure for me also working with those lovely people. Yeah, well, listen, they do love you. I hear it in my travels. Uh, it's only what I hear in my travels. Listen, I must take a break and go over lovely. late to the news uh, with David Abbott and uh, apologies to him. Faith Ammond, thank lovely. you so thank much you, and Edward. good morning. The Saturday Show on KCLOR with Edward Hayden. Brought to you by Lyrath with Love. Fall in love this Valentine's with an overnight stay, breakfast in bed, a couple's massage and use of thermal suite. For details, visit lyrath.com. Mila Buikas, David Nuth, Arish, Araman, Leigh. Good morning. You're very welcome back. If you've just joined us, it's Edward Hayden here on The Saturday Show. Hope you are in good form. Keep an eye on our social media. Faith Amond has just left us. She was telling us all all about style for the Thiestes race. We'll be popping a picture of Faith's wonderful outfit today. She looked like a, a a model from Milan here with us today in burnt orange and black. So we'll be popping that up on social media. 0833069696 is our dinnersready.ie contact line. Lots of texts coming in with regard to our interview with Malcolm Noonan. We'll come to those in a few minutes' time. Coming up in this hour of the show, Tricia Norton is going to be doing a live yoga class in studio with us and you can do it at home as well so stay tuned for that and of course we're going to be joined by a sporting legend Aidan Taggy Fogarty ahead of a weekend of packed action in the world of sport here on Casey Law some more details and none but prior to all of that I'm delighted to be joined on the telephone line by award winning Irish journalist author and broadcaster Dervil MacDonald who during the week presented The Last Nuns in Ireland uh, which reflected of course on the causes and consequences on the seemingly terminal decline in religious vocations in Ireland. I'm not sure if you saw the documentary. I watched it and I thought it was um, so wonderfully uh, put together, presented and well-balanced. Derville, good morning to you. Good morning to you, Edward. Sadly, joining you in drab navy instead of very exciting or... <laughs> <laughs> this morning but uh, lovely to join you and your listeners well listen I think most of us have to wave the white feather to faith when it comes to style so it's good to do it early Derville <laughs> I thought I would just get it in early but, uh, <laughs> lovely and we have been myself and Ardlo Hanlon um, who obviously everybody remembers from Father Ted um, sure. we're both just absolutely stunned by the reaction to the both documentaries, obviously uh, Ardle had presented The Last Priests in Ireland and for my own part, I presented The Last Nuns in Ireland. And if I'm honest, Edward, perhaps I was a little bit nervous about the reaction, not least mm. because um, I had started my legal career or my journalism career as a young legal affairs journalist and religious affairs journalist with the Sunday Times newspaper at a time when 
the scandals had already broken, but we were really, really dealing with the, the peak reaction at that time in terms of legal cases, criminal law cases. And I suppose I was a little bit, um, even 25 years after the scandals, I think I was a little bit nervous. Would the public be ready for a more nuanced conversation about the role of women religious, um, particularly in circumstances where, you know, at the foundation of a state when the Irish state was uh, fledgling, when it was really impoverished, it was nuns and priests, but particularly nuns who built our schools, built our hospitals. So to cast them in a different light, apart from the scandals, which stand equally, I have to say I was nervous about that. So I'm really, really stunned. And if I'm honest, humbled by the reaction. Well, listen, I think the reaction is uh, well justified because it was a very balanced piece of uh, of broadcasting. We, you know, we certainly got a sense of you know, the, the, the damaged and the troubled legacy that um, sisters and uh, brothers of the cloth left behind. But also, I think it was, it was well acknowledged and is well acknowledged the work that they did with regard to the foundation of, you know, so many um, developments, whether it's medical and education, uh, I suppose, are two of the, of the mainstays around that. Uh, you came at it from, I suppose, a, a two-pronged attack, Derville, because you did acknowledge both at the start and at the end of the documentary of being a St. Clare's girl. So you had had what I decided on the night was a very positive exchange and interaction with um, Sisters of the Cloth during your um, early education. Yeah, look, my, I'm in my 40s now, so like many, many women of, of my generation and certainly my mother's generation and, and the generations before, we were um, educated by nuns. So nuns um, were part of our own formation. For my own part, I was educated by the Sisters of St. Clair um, in quite an historic convent, which has actually just been demolished. So the images, any of your listeners just got to see, uh, my primary school has been demolished to make way for social um, and affordable housing. But um, I, I was educated by the nuns during the Troubles, Edward. And what was really, really interesting about that order is that they they taught me in both primary and, and in grammar school, and they really, really drove home to us the importance of education. Um, as a way out of uh, both poverty um, and out of the conflict, out of the troubles. And that was a very, very powerful um, message for young women at that time, that education was the way out. And of course, they were correct about that. They really, really encouraged us into the professions, into any vocation, whether it was being a stay-at-home mum, whether it was you know going into the professions or any vocation, because they felt it was important that we learned how to be financially independent, that we learned um, how to take our place in the world. And many of us did. You know, I just looked at uh, during the week, um, Pauline Turley, who uh, was a huge part of the Irish Arts Centre in New York. She was just acknowledged by the president. And we also have home to uh, the First Lady Chief Justice of Northern Ireland, um, Siobhan Keegan, was also at our school. So, you know, we took that message to heart. But I suppose the irony then was when I became a young journalist, having finished my, my law and journalism degrees and took my place in the world as a journalist, the first issue that I was confronted with was this, um, not just the fact of these scandals, but the manner in which the um, the institutional church dealt with that. And so all of those values of independence, of seeking for the truth, I, I turned all of those in many respects on the church when I became a, a young investigative journalist. But I suppose now 20 years on, nearly 21 years on, I, I got the invitation to go back to school and to go back and look at the um, influence of those women. And I think that that is something that struck a real chord with many, many people of my age and older who say that had it not been for nuns and sisters, 
they wouldn't have got that indication, uh, education. And a lot of the elderly, because uh, it's mostly elderly, Edward, um, mm. you know, the average age is 80 to 85. And a lot of those women religious are very proud of the role that they played. They say we helped create uh, those generations of women who've taken their, their place in society. And, and you know, the, the big conflict for them, the big conflict for me personally is, well, how do you hold these two things? In the you know in in the one hand the undoubted achievements of these women like I mean Edward I met pilots, academics, surgeons, engineers these are the nuns and sisters, women who travelled all over the world who got an education and an opportunity for career enhancement inside convents that many women in Ireland at that time were not. So when you go back to the 40s, 50s and the 60s, remember it was only in the swinging 60s that really uh, more options came available for women in general. So a lot of the, particularly the elderly religious, say that if you didn't want marriage or children, and of course that option is not for everyone, that there was, it might seem counterintuitive, but there, there was an extraordinary um, freedom in a life of celibacy. There was an extraordinary freedom in going into a convent. Of course, that wasn't the unique experience. We mm. spoke to an amazing academic, Karen Hangrahan, who talked, um, who, whose field of study is looking at the testimonies of women who left orders. And those stories are not pleasant. Those stories of women, um, if you left an order, you were called a spoiled nun. And often there were huge obstacles, very, very many obstacles put in your path, including, you know, that your family wouldn't receive the grace, that, that you would be shamed. And they were, like some of those um, uh, women who went in at 13, 14 and 15 were unceremoniously kicked out um, of orders when they decided, when they finally got the agency to leave. And that was really, really difficult to listen to Karen to speak about their experience. But, you know, the average age, we used to have um, about 14,000 nuns in Ireland. And there was a time, Edward, where many of your listeners, um, even now listening, will say, I had an aunt, I had a, a great aunt, you know, who was a nun, or, you know, it was very common and a very, very... And it was a family privilege, actually. wasn't it? Yeah, it was a huge family privilege. It was elite status to have a, a priest or a nun in your family the women I was meeting on this journey, and I feel lucky to have captured um, their testimony, in fact, before they, they pass on. They were mostly 80 to 85 years of age. And the response of some of them quietly afterward, after the documentary has been that it has been a difficult time with all of the controversies and that they finally felt as if their voice had been heard. And, you know, I, I feel, Edward, if this makes any sense, uh, I went all the way back to the 12th century, to the Middle Ages, but um, women religious were first put behind convent walls at the Council of Trent. It was a response um, by the Catholic Church to the Protestant Reformation. So they were put behind walls. Um, it wasn't until the 1800s that they started to come out and, you know, be more apostolic and, find, you know, find churches and hospitals. And part of me didn't want to see their voices put behind a historic wall again. Mm. Because, you know, they're part of us, you know, they're not the other, you know, those nuns and priests, um, whether we like you know, what happened at an institutional level, um, they're part of us and they're part of our history. And I'm, I'm glad that I got to capture a little bit of that. And captured so well. The academic that you spoke about, Karen, she, um, I, I just wrote down as I was watching the documentary again last evening. I'd watched it on Tuesday, but I watched it again last night ahead of our conversation. And I just wrote down that she said that convent life erased individuality. And with that in mind, I suppose I had I had two pronged question for you. You set out to discover uh, if there was still a place for religious um, in contemporary life. 
But I wondered maybe off the camera to the sisters that you spoke to, you know, many spoke of, and particularly in the closed, in closed order, they spoke of that vocation and that call to God. And many sisters did answer that call to God and answered it very favourably and responded to it. But also anecdotally, we hear of so many people that were kind of pushed or shoved into um, into the uh, nuns or into the priesthood just out of that to, to kind of to seek out that privilege of having a nun in the family and may not necessarily have went to it um, at their own at their own um, decision. Yeah, look, I mean, many women, including many men who went into the priesthood or to um, male religious orders, were not suited for that life. And and I think in Ireland's documentary, one of the uh, academics he spoke to said, but basically, you know, a good Irish farming family was, you know, when you had your your frontage, when you had all of this and, uh, you know, a priest uh, um, in, in, in the family. And I think a lot of people who went into religious orders, particularly those very, very young ones, were not suited to that life. But Karen Hanrahan, the academic you mentioned, she talks about how, because it was about community living, you had to become dead to the world. It was all about the collective. And I think that that was very damaging for people for whom that life was not suitable. What I would say, however, Edward, which was really, really surprising, is that to the extent that I think that um, uh, women religious orders will survive, I actually think it will be the contemplative enclosed orders. That was what was really, really fascinating for me. These women who closed themselves off to the world. Now, they would say to you off camera, actually, we're very part of the world. People come with petitions. We hear about what's happening. But that was really fascinating. I went to uh, visit an enclosed order. I got to go behind the wall to an enclosed order in Drogheda. And these women do believe that they are the beating heart, that they are the, um, you know, kind of the, the, the power supply, one of the nuns described it as, you know, for the broader church. And I think, you know, just in the same way as people are called to be a nurse or a doctor, a carer, a journalist, I think there will always be men and women who are called to religious life. And what's really interesting is that when I was saying to these women, but you're dying, you know, the numbers are in decline, like this way of life is going to go. And they took a much more sanguine look. They said, look, the average religious order lasts about 200 years. So many of our big orders, which your listeners will be familiar with, the big teaching orders or the big medical um, missionary orders, mm. they're coming to a natural conclusion anyway. But what the women would say was, well, actually, if you look back at our history, going back hundreds of years prior to that, they will say sometimes the numbers were huge, sometimes the numbers were tiny. Like, you know, we have to remember during penal times, our religious were exiled, they were penalised, they had to flee abroad, they, they tried to come back. And they say it doesn't matter how big or small the number is as long as they're answering a need. And some of the women we spoke to, in particular Sister Helen Callan, who founded the Children's Grief Centre in Limerick, there are still women going out to uh, a need. Many of your listeners will be familiar with what are household names like Sister Stan, mm. Sister Concilio, you know, who have worked with the homeless, uh, those with addictions, who are always answering a need. And I think the difficulty for me personally, having investigated all of the controversies, having spoken to the women who were in Magdalene laundries, to the women who were in mother and baby's homes, and don't forget, Edward, that when um, the excavation work begins in Chewham, very soon, those issues of our relationship with the religious, with the state, are going to come up time and time again. And the reason why I felt privileged to do this film was that we are going to have future flashpoints. We can't deny the role and influence of the Catholic Church. We can be angry at it. We can be frustrated. But we still have some pretty big issues in society, including patronage of schools, 
um, it's diminishing, but still a, an influence in a small number of hospitals. And I suppose the curiosity for me as a journalist and probably um, for you as well, Edward, is how are we going to navigate these conversations? And can we look at the contribution in the round? Um, for those of you who maybe don't get to or who haven't seen it yet, I know it is available, both films on RT Player. That's the big question throughout it I was asking. Can I hold these truths, mm. the undoubted achievements of these women, as well as the legacy of the abuse? And I think that is a broader societal question. I think a lot of us um, mightn't like the institution, but do love the individual nuns and priests that we know. And also it's part of our heritage. It's part of our history. So we need to find ways to have those conversations. And I think perhaps in time, Ardell's film, The Last Priest and My Own, The Last Nuns, will perhaps um, maybe help start the beginning of a conversation, a really difficult national conversation that we haven't been able to have for the last 20 to 25 years. It, it was interesting when I was chatting to Ardell, you know, some days he'd be on his way to knock to a vocations mass, I'd be on my way to yeah. an order. It was a strange, it was a strange... Um, uh, funny WhatsApps to be going. The, the, the WhatsApps were quite funny, but, you know, just to think that next year will, will be the 30th anniversary of Father Ted. And what Ardell says in his film is that looking back, and you have to remember that was perceived as quite scandalous, at the time, you know, and it was groundbreaking. And he says, looking back, um, he actually thinks the, the the material in Father Ted was quite tame and what it actually did was to humanise um, the priest. And I think what the films together do um, is perhaps humanise um, our male and female religious, not taking away anything at all from the, the, the controversies and the pain and hurt that people have suffered but that, and, and that's why it was such a privilege um, to do it. And, and many people will say, well, what's a former business editor or a legal editor doing talking about nuns? But in fact, for me, it was professionally coming full circle because in my salad days and the Sunday Times just out of um, uh, graduation, those were the first issues I encountered. So I'm feeling very privileged as you and I both have in this mm-hmm. life to facilitate conversations to have captured the voices of some of those women um, because they are very, very elderly Absolutely. and you know, they won't be around forever. Where I um, where I live in Greg Manor, the thumbprint of the Mercy Order is very much uh, on us. We, uh, and they no longer reside in, in Greg Manor, but one of the, the ladies, one of the sisters who contributed over 60 years of service to Greg Manor passed away recently and there was a great sadness at her, at her funeral and at her wake and, you know, individual stories of uh, the enterprising nature of, of what they've done. So as you said, it's, it's, it's a bit of a curate's egg really in terms of it. The one final question that I wondered, um, there was one sister, her name escapes me, but um, she, she, I suppose the narrative that she presented towards the end of the programme is one that is, is widely uh, populated and, you know, there's lots of support for in terms of the controversies. She said that, you know, the religious and acknowledged that the religious of the state in many cases failed children. But she did inculcate in us that society created the cases. She asked you the question and I suppose vicariously asked us the question, where were the men where were the families? And she said the nuns were foolish enough to take on that work and um, were blamed for what was going on in Ireland, which, again, there is there is elements of validity, no doubt. Uh, and you've researched and, and investigated this thoroughly. Society is in is in that piece as well, isn't it, Gerville? Yeah. So her name is Sister Marion. She's 91 years of age. And we had a fascinating conversation. She kept 
challenging me and by extension uh, the viewers and she did say where were the men where were the mm. parents who put these children in there she said why you know why were we doing the work of lay people you know she said the nuns were foolish to take on works of running orphanages etc what she's speaking to about the role of society is something i think that it's a nuance that we might struggle to deal with you know you have to think back to um ireland and when it became a newly independent state you know, incredible levels of poverty, incredible levels of, um, um, you know, of, of, of child mortality, you know, generally in the population. And I suppose what she was trying to say was, you know, well, look, um, it's not black and white, not like the wimples and habits of old, that it is more complicated than that. And what happened, I think, the way I describe it in the film, um, Edward, is that this strange codependency um, arose between church and state. The early fledging state didn't have the resources the, um, the orders were being invited in and how they responded to the need as they saw it at that time. It was poverty, so it was people not having doctors, so they built hospitals, they built schools. Then they took on this other social role of, um, you know, of, of orphanages. And what Sister Marion was saying, she's such a wise lady. She actually spent um, uh, much of her life in apartheid South Africa. And one of the things that really struck me about what she said in the documentary, she said, had I been home, you know, had I been here, would I have been one of those? You know, would I have acted like some of the women who were later, you know, accused of, of abuse and, and neglect and, and maltreatment? And I think, Edward, that's the complicated piece of the picture, mm. that it's not just church versus state. Of course, that's a huge element of it. But if we ignore that societal piece, and that is the hard part, I think, and I don't think I came to resolve it in that time, it, it, it's easier just to have a them and us. And, and I, I'm from Northern Ireland and I see parallels um, with the last priests and the last nuns with, um, with the peace process, in fact, because here we are, not too dissimilar timing, 25 years after the Good Friday Agreement. And we are, the big piece we haven't dealt with is legacy. We haven't looked and interrogated, well, look, is it, because it, legacy is very, very complicated. And I see parallels between the Good Friday Agreement and what was we as a society in Northern Ireland and across the island are trying to navigate painfully through with our relationship between um, church and state. And I think that societal piece, you know, you know, and, and you know, we're seeing it now in great in film and in art, you know, Claire Keegan and other authors starting to kind of touch on, you know, we knew the walls were there. We might not have known specifically what was happening behind these walls, but did we have a role in society? And that is a very challenging question a certainly challenging question for me and i'm sure for many many people but again i think perhaps even 25 years on we're only perhaps in the foothills of those conversations but i think it's important to document the voices mm-hmm. of women who are in those homes and the women who ran them for sure well listen it was a fascinating documentary before i let you go uh Jervil, a texture here has says what a journalist edward i have followed her as a journalist for years and uh, oh. years back, Gerville was very vocal in articles on mental health issues, always admired her courage and please thank her for that, says uh, I think I know who that listener may be. Um, I covered a lot of issues in your region as a young, I, I think I've covered every brief in journalism, including <laughs> health and, um, and certainly um, if it is who I think it is. Um, certainly um, I was very helped in particularly covering mental health and adolescent mental health um, in, in your region and I'm grateful and I'm grateful, um, I feel so humble I'm so grateful to everyone including now, 20, nearly 21 years into my career, 
we can only tell these stories, um, Edward, if people trust us to do so. And I'm indebted and very, very humbled and privileged to speak to you and to your listeners this morning. Well, listen, it was fantastic. The Last Nuns in Ireland still available and The Last Priest still available on RTE Player. But for now, Dervil MacDonald, thank you so much and good morning. Thank you very, very much. Have a great weekend. God bless. Bye-bye. Uh, Dervil MacDonald, it was fantastic. Um, whatever your viewpoint um, on uh, sisters or, or men of the cloth are... Um, it was, I thought, particularly well balanced and well judged in terms of its output. So um, check it out if you haven't already seen it. Let's take uh, a little break. The Saturday Show on KCLOR with Edward Hayden. Brought to you by Lyrath with Love. Fall in love this Valentine's with an overnight stay, breakfast in bed, a couple's massage and use of thermal suite. For details, visit lyrath.com. Carlo. Kilkenny. KCLR. KCLR. The best to look in Sunday's final for sure and certain. You're very welcome back. Edward Hayden here with you. 083-306-9696 is our dinnersready.ie contact line. Keep the texts coming. Lest I forget now. Hold on. I don't want to forget someone's fiancé. Uh, good morning, Edward. Can you please play a request for my beautiful fiancé, Mary Murphy and Callan and James Barry and Jim Holden and Johnny Murphy and family in Kilkenny. And that's from Paul Curtis in Wexford and see them soon. Mary Murphy and Callan must be the most requested fiancé on KCLR. She gets a request often here on this show. So, Mary, how lucky are you to feel uh, so loved uh, from Paul. Now, I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Trisha Norton um, and Trisha is getting ready to facilitate wonderful yoga classes at Sunrise for St. Bridget's Day on the 1st of February that in Bullock. Uh, Trisha, good morning to you. How are you keeping? Very well. Thank you so much for having me here. Now, before we get into the world of yoga, <laughs> you could give Faith Ammon to run for her money in the kind of... The, I remember when Faith wore red and pink together, she won a Range Rover or a Land Rover, one is of the other over outside. in the UK yeah there's one outside for me is there absolutely <laughs> winner all right <laughs> winner all right uh, tell us about the world of uh, yoga then Trisha how that journey began yeah um, well I think it was a it was a two part journey I suppose there was the part that was definitely uh, the Lululemons and the chai lattes maybe and then there was the second half which was probably the more sincere kind of entry into it which was you know I was struggling myself and um, I didn't know how to feel calm really you know in and 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 the thing is is that everybody struggles mm. and um yoga helped me feel peace and a stillness and a safeness actually in my own self and um a friend of mine really got me into the really the truth of it and forever grateful to him for that so my goal was to help people feel that same peace in themselves yeah because I think and I was chatting with a couple of people about this recently I think a lot of us now in in a very busy world and in a very stress laden world Mm. maybe don't necessarily know what's wrong with us but have this you know continued sense of Mm. forbearing or foreboding do you know Mm. Um, and that in itself can be quite frightening and unsettling Mm. I mean, I was just listening to your your previous speaker is, and is it Derville? Derville, yeah. yeah. Like we come from a nation of like, we're a wonderful nation, but we've been through so much, you know, and we are the daughters and sons. We're the people of um, colonized people, people who've been through a lot, a new state, um, you know, a heavy influence by the church in good ways and in, in the ways we heard. Um, 
And we're really the first generation, like the Celtic Tiger really hit in the late 90s, early noughties. And we're the, we're now having this new financial freedom, you know, not for everybody, of course, but um, more education. And when we have space and we're not in survival mode anymore, that's when the feelings come up. And so we're not just looking at what's happening now. We're looking at being the product of a, a, a lot of trauma in our in our society. And so... Um, you know, it can be often really difficult because we have such a mind based society that we're like, but everything's fine. I, I can't understand it. What's wrong with me? Like, you know, I should just be grateful. And we have all this kind of like spiritual bypassing of, you know, just be positive and be grateful, which is really valid. But also we need to be able to look at the at the, the validness of sadness and grief and, and be able to hold space for it. And that's what yoga allowed me to do is it, it when you hold a pose, you're holding yourself you're you're sitting in a space with yourself mm. and sometimes hard things come up and sometimes we feel peace but the main thing is that we're sitting with ourselves and so often when we over caffeinate and when we overwork and when we undersleep we don't get to sit with ourselves and we become very dysregulated is what, what it's called you know at the very basis we're, we're animals who have a nervous system and if we don't have that regulated we'll act from a fight or flight state we'll act from a space of um of fear and of, um, of as you say, you know, a sense of impending mm. because our system feels threatened um, because it doesn't feel safe. And so yoga and through the practice of awareness and breath work and meditation and uh, and, uh, and allowing ourselves to be messy too, right? We have this incredibly cultivated society of Instagram and TikTok and all of the above, but we don't often see the messy. And by the very nature of being human, we are of dark and light. We are sadness and grief and love and joy. And 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 for me, when I hold space, I welcome, I always say all of you is welcome in this space. All of you, all your expressions are welcome. Um, and that's really, really important to me is not that you do a handstand on your or you do a headstand or you put your leg behind your head. Mm. It's that you feel safe enough to actually meet yourself. And I don't ask any more th than that in the space that I provide. Yeah. And that in itself can be a big ask, can't a it? Because sometimes ask. we're afraid to mm. bring ourselves to, to, to that. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about the business end of things and, mm. and, and where you operate in just a few moments. But before that, um, when you came in, you said you were going to do some work with us and you were going to, um, I forget the phrase, invite us to check in on our body. <laughs> you yeah. know, and I suppose <clears throat> we check in on everybody else, don't mm -hmm. we? You know, yeah. we really check in on everyone else, but there's often a reticence to kind of invest ourselves in ourselves, mm. you know, and yet there's an importance you spoke there about, you know, I always think that the panacea for all mm. is plenty of sleep and good nutrition. And yet yeah. we're just, we fight and resist adherence mm. to that, yeah. even though we know it, it works. Yeah, like self-care is, is, is really basic. You get good sleep, you eat, eat well and from that solid foundation, you make choices from a stable place rather than a dysregulated place. And so, you know, I I can be terrible at sleep hygiene. You know, I'm not perfect, but mm. I absolutely notice and I'm aware of the difference in my mind and the pace of my day when I say skip breakfast or don't sleep properly. And then when you skip breakfast, then your body is like increasing spikes of cortisol. And then you're like, I need to eat sugar and carbs and coffee. And, yeah. you know, and you have these highs and lows. And so um, 
Look, we're all human, but I think the space of wellness can be quite overcomplicated and actually beginning with with good sleep, good nutrition and um, a loving voice in your own head can be three of the most incredible medicines. And if you have, you and know, transformative, I'd yeah. imagine. Tell us how we check in. Give us that. You're going to do some <laughs> some breathing, I think you told me. Yeah. So um, for me, the most important thing <laughs> that's it may sound mad, but the most important thing that we remember is we're not just our heads. We actually have a body. Right. Mm-hmm. And so because quite often we can be thinking a lot, what I'm going to invite you to do is actually just put both feet on the ground, uncross the legs if they're crossed. I had mine were crossed, yeah. (laughs) And we're going to be really aware of our feet. And we're going to take a big deep breath and we're going to breathe into the belly. So we're going to allow the abdomen to rise. And that might feel strange if we've been breathing into the chest. Um, If that's the natural place for the breath to land. Um, We're going to breathe out. And hold and breathing in. And when we breathe in this time, we're going to breathe all the way, belly rise, and all the way to bring in your awareness down to the base of your spine and all the way down the legs to the feet and release. Almost as if I can feel my full diaphragm opening, you yeah. know, when you're and you're sitting even more erect when yeah. you're when you're doing that. That was about that was about 15, 20 seconds. And already, like, you look different, right? Yeah, yeah. Isn't it incredible? Yeah. Because, and, and you know, yoga is spiritual, but it's very practical. So the basic body-based idea behind that is when we're in fight or flight or we're stressed, we breathe into our chest. And we're always like... The shortness. Shortness. Mm. When you allow your belly to rise, you're actually kicking in your parasympathetic nervous system, which says... I'm safe, you know, the body is no longer in fight or flight where it restricts just to the heart and just to the arms. The energy is now moving to the lower body, which is the rest and digest, which is the really allowing your body to fully rest, go into a deep sleep and allowing your body to actually digest your food. So, you know, you don't need those things when a lion is chasing you in caveman times. Yes. So now our lines, our caveman times is busyness, you know, deadlines, you know, maybe illness. And they're all very valid. Mm. But allowing yourself those 30 perhaps seconds. perhaps more evisceration. Yeah. Our yeah. lines. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're very valid, but our bodies work the same. Mm. Yeah. Um, so that's just a simple breath. If you take 30 seconds to do that breath, it'll change. And if you want to add to that breath, it's called a box breath. So um, we're imagining like a box in the air. So four lines, a square. And so we're going to start in the bottom left hand corner. We're going to breathe in, imagining going up for one, two, three, four, out, across, two, three, four, and down. Breathing in, two, three, four, and out, across, two, three, four. And so just holding that for a second, taking a moment. And just sensing into your own body, sensing in if there's any shifts since, you know, we first started the breathing work in your mind, in your heart rate, in your awareness of your body as a whole. Are you actually aware of more parts of your body? 
my feet are still very firmly on the ground and I'm quite enjoying that. Yeah. Because I think sometimes my feet are a bit light. You know, maybe it's in mm-hmm. here I, I stick them up on the chairs yeah. or we have these spindly chairs yeah. and I tend to kind of wrap them around that. Yeah. So I do feel uh, almost unknockable. Do you know there's that That's solid... Beautiful. Gr- grounded. Yeah, grounded. It's, it's so interesting. Mm. And, and so easy to do. Yeah. Do you know, I mean, I'm doing it here at work. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, I what I what I really want to bring across is that we are a physical body, but we also have an emotional body and, you know, we have a a spiritual self, you know, and, and, and that can be quite controversial, especially in terms of, you know, the conversation that Derville kind of spoke about. But there's a there's a part of us that we can tap into. Um, and I suppose my offering would be the prayer that I always say is, you know, all humans suffer. And so what I wish for you is may you be well, may you be happy and may you be at peace and that we can offer that to ourselves. May I be well, may I be happy and may I be at peace. Um, that's the dream, isn't it? And that's what that and the that's dream. a simple prayer and that can be a prayer too, right? Absolutely. Tell me where people can get in contact with you or where people can sign up, uh, Tricia, to go on this journey with you or to be assisted, you know, yeah. for you to be their companion on that journey yeah. in that in the biblical and the non-biblical sense. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so you can find me online on Instagram. So it's trishanorton.ie on Instagram and TikTok. And then my website is the same, trishanorton.ie. It's all very simple. It's very easy. Well, listen, thank you so much for yeah. coming in to us this morning and uh, hopefully people at home are sitting in their chairs now or are just grounded you know yeah. keep that feet on the ground and there's one very special lady who is sitting in the chair listing that I have to give a shout out to my 97 year old granny is in Clamana, Nora Murphy so she is listening this morning so hi granny hello Nora <laughs> and uh, I'm sure she's very proud of you yeah and so she should be because you're absolutely fantastic thank you so thanks much thanks so much Trisha me. for coming in people can check out said on trishanorton.ie and on all of the social media platforms and of course as we said on St Bridget's Day the 1st mm-hmm. of February you're going to facilitate a wonderful yoga session at sunrise just very yeah, briefly in where Coru, is that? In Coru Wellness yeah Coru so that's K-O-R-U Wellness in Kilkenny it's a gorgeous studio run by Jenny um, in the Castle Castle Yard and details online in St Bridget is so uh, important for so many people mm-hmm. um, thank you so much yeah. uh, thanks so much uh, Trisha and- just to know that all donations are going to um, Women's Aid or the local women's centre as well. So it's a donations um, a very class. worthwhile, yeah. A very worthwhile cause. Now, uh, we're going to take a break. But before we do, just to let you know that guess who was won during the week with John Keane. So we give away a 600 euro. Have a listen to what happened when he did that. Three mystery celebrities, thousands of euros. Casey Awards, get who? Who do you think Okay, it is time for us to get into the my final call for Guess Who indeed for this week and indeed for this run of Guess Who 600 euro up for grabs. Let's see uh, who we have on the line. It should be, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Kirsten in Bagnestown. How are you today? Not too bad, thanks, you? I'm great. Great, looking forward to the weekend. That's the main thing. Looking forward to the weekend. Listen, 600 quid, what would you do with it? Oh, shop. Shop. Shop till you drop for 600 quid. Yeah. Mystery person number one is a famous Irish TV host that was born in the United States of America. Who do you think that might be? Conan O'Brien. Mystery person number two was a fruity Irish singer and there's a Christmas connection. Dolores O'Riordan. And mystery person number three was the captain.
captain of his ship and that captain had a French background. Who are you going to go for? Patrick Stewart. Let's go for this and see how we get on. Three celebrities identifies. Yes! No way. <laughs> I love it. I get to give me the money for the second time. Oh, I'm delighted. Curse I can't believe it. I can't believe it. We're here all day and we're just wrecking our heads trying to... I just can't believe it. Delighted. Delighted. 600 euro all for you, correctly identifying Conan O'Brien and, of course, Dolores O'Riordan and Patrick Stewart as our three mystery celebrities. How about that? Thank you. Thanks a million. Thanks, Kirsten. All the best to you. Three celebrities to identify, thousands of euro to give away. KCLR's Guess Who? Carlo, Kilkenny, KCLR. Now, good morning. You're very welcome back. Edward Hayden here with you. Now, as the anticipation builds for this weekend's AIBGA Hurling All-Ireland Club Championship Finals uh, with O'Loughlin Gales taking on St. Thomas's of Galway on Sunday. You'll hear the full clash of the ash live here on KCLR thanks to Kilkenny uh, Physiotherapy and Sports Injury Clinic and all of our sports team involved. Delighted to be joined on the telephone line by Aidan Taggy Fogarty to bring us through this. Taggy, good morning to you. Good morning, Edward. Thanks for having me on. A pleasure. How are you keeping? Very well, Edward. I don't know if it's too late. It's a happy new year. I haven't met you yet, so I'll say happy new year. There you have it. There you have it. I, I'm, keeping, I'm, I'm keeping very well. It's never too late for that. Come here till I tell you, we'll dive straight into this. It's highly um, it's highly discussed. It has been highly analysed. Um, you know, uh, things... Uh, how are you feeling for O'Loughlin Gales on the day? Yeah, look, uh, Edward, it's your know, typical cliche match. It's got um, it's fifty fifty. Um, both teams are coming in on uh, on the back of a really really good results. Um, obviously, St. Thomas's are probably favourites. Uh, they're favourites probably for the reason that they're six in a row champions in Galway. They've won eight of the last ten championships. They beat Ballygunner, uh, which was massive for them in the semi final. Uh, they've been here before, and they've been here before three times. They won it in 2013, beating Kilcormac Kalahi. They lost it against Ballyhale Shamrocks in 2019. So the majority of that team in 2019 are playing tomorrow. So there'll be a bit of um, kicking them, I would feel. There'll be a bit of um, maybe amending 2019, and that'll be used in the dressing room, I, I'd imagine. Um, Alocrans are coming in on the flip side. They're coming in kind of kind of out of the blue, to be fair. Everyone thought this was going to be maybe a Bally Hale, Bally Gunner final at the beginning of the year. But it turns out it's not. Um, obviously, Lachlan's beating uh, Bally Hale Shamrocks in the final was a huge step. Um, they gathered momentum. You know, they got over Mount Leinster Rangers. A uh, big result. And then they really kicked on. You know, they bet Kilcoma Kalahi and they bet Nafina in the in the Leinster final and beat Cushendall also as well. So... Two of them are uh, well placed. Um, I feel that St. Thomas is a good favourite, but a lot of them coming in. By God, they're they're young. You know, they have a little bit of experience. They have two players that played um in the last time they got there, which was 2011. Mark Bergen and Stephen Murphy in the goal. So there's a lot of experience there. Brian Hogan, as you know, a good friend of mine, um, trained with Kilkenny, hurled with Kilkenny, captain Kilkenny, also was involved in that day with Lachlan as well. And their backroom team were involved in that loss as well. So that'd be motivation as well. So look, two of them coming in. It's going to be a really tight game. It's going to be a real arm wrestle. If you look at the stats over the last uh, couple of games, especially for Lockers, I've seen Lockers obviously more than I've seen St. Thomas's, but it, it, they're low scoring affairs. 
you know, if, if they don't get much over 20, 22, 23 points, could win this game, um, Edward. And I just feel it's going to be a real arm wrestle. Absolutely. And of course, a chance for O'Loughlin Gales to etch their names into the annals of history against St. Thomas's uh, as well. You're involved, Aidan, tomorrow in the pre-match and post-match commentary and analysis. So you'll be getting uh, uh, and we'll have a ringside seat um, and you'll be smoking everyone out before and after the match as well. I will, absolutely, yeah. I'm, I'm on analysis, Edward. I know what analysis I'm going to bring to the game. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm on analysis uh, before the game and during it and obviously afterwards. So, uh, look, there's obviously um, both teams are setting up in certain ways. There's certain matchups that's going to be very interesting. Conor Cooney and Paddy Deegan, for one, for me, is going to be a, a, a huge, huge battle in the centre of the field. They're centre-forward and centre-back. Uh, it's going to be massive. I'm also on today, Edward, for the, the Kikenny game, the Welsh Cup second round, uh, Wexford versus uh, Kikenny out in um, Callan. So I'm on that at two o'clock as well. So it's a busy weekend for me, but I'm looking forward to it. No bother. Well, listen, if you see any of them from O'Loughlin Gales now tomorrow, you can tell them after the match that Edward and the Saturday show team will be looking for them next Saturday. So tell them not to make too many plans or have all the, either the celebrating or the commiserating done before next Saturday. But uh, yeah, listen, enjoy it anyway, Taggy. It'll be great. I will do it. No, I'm really looking forward to it. And look, just to finish, it's a huge, huge um, honour for any coach to be for in sure. an Ireland final. And, uh, you know, representing Kilkenny, representing the Rowan Lockins, and I just wish everyone in the county just gets behind them. Like be done for Thomas or for um, Thomastown and Tuller Ross Burkin. So the very best look for them. Absolutely. We're willing them well, uh, for sure, in certain. Uh, listen, Taggy, have a lovely day today and tomorrow. Busy day, but I know you'll be in the thick of the action. But for now, good morning. Morning, Edward. Thanks very much. Now, that's Aidan Taggy Fogarty bringing our show to a, a late conclusion. Apologies again. David Abbott will be here um, just after 12 o'clock. Eddie will be up after that for the Saturday brunch. And I'll be back with you next Saturday morning. Lacoon of Day. Thanks so much to our wonderful producer, Ashling uh, MacDonald. And um, there's nothing she can't do. I said to her the other day, I think I'd love Daryl MacDonald on the show. And here she is. That's the way it works. Talk to you next week, guys. God bless. The KCLR text and WhatsApp line 083 306 9696. Sponsored by Dinners Ready, Market Yard Kilkenny. Now serving fabulous handmade salad bowls and sandwiches from our deli.